Welcome to the business of being well. If you're a hands-on practitioner who wants to grow a profitable business without working your life away, you're in the right place. So sit back, take a deep breath, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I'm excited to bring a new guest to the show today who have actually sat in her classes um, a couple of times over the last couple of years. And she is Dr. Cindy Howard. Dr. Cindy, I'm going to ask you to just introduce yourself and share a bit about your family, your practice, and um, you as an instructor as well. Yeah, you got it. It's it's so great to be here. And I was thrilled to receive the invitation. So thank you. Um, my background actually goes back 22 years in chiropractic, but even beyond that. So a lot of history in sport and in dance and in the physical fitness field. And then I decided I wanted to go to school to become a chiropractor. So I graduated from national a very long time ago. And I hate giving the years, even though I kind of alluded to that 22 years in practice and opened up a private practice in the Southwest suburbs of Chicago. And I've been there ever since in a private practice. On top of that, though, it's very fun because I'm afforded some other opportunities to travel around the country lecturing. So I do teach for some of the postgraduate programs. And I also teach at a lot of the state organizations, which of course I've seen you at, right? Um, on all kinds of different topics, really within the internal medicine world and the nutrition world, because I hold diplomates in both of those um, in both of those categories. So I've been very, very fortunate to balance um, work with in-office practice as well as out-of-office, not only teaching, but also consulting. And that's all while handling raising three kids, right? So that's, you know, one, one of the challenges. I have three, three amazing kids, truly. My daughter is a freshman in college. She's in the aviation program in North Dakota. So she's going to fly me around the country one day, which will be great. And then two boys that are still here at home, one in high school and one who's graduating eighth grade. And just, you know, that balance, right, of figuring out how to do what I love, which is both parenting and working within our field. Yeah. Well, and that was why I asked you to be on the show today, because there was a specific post. I don't remember what the topic was, but I had I had posted something about, oh, I'll just say work-life balance. It was something about maybe taking time off and and how often do you do that? And people probably commented and said they feel guilty when they do that. And and how do you do that? Like, don't your patients get upset? And um, there's been other, you know, other topics that we've talked about that were similar where you're like, I think it was just yesterday or the day before, like I take four weeks off every year. I'm like, see people, <laughs> see, yeah. you There's actually can do it. it. And not only practicing in her own practice, but also like we said, traveling and teaching as well. Yeah. So I'm curious to hear from you, knowing that you do take at least four weeks off a year. Have you always done that? Or was there a certain part in your career that you started implementing that? Yeah, I never did it in the beginning. You know, that that was part of the problem, right? As you graduate and you have all this debt and you're scared. And I opened my practice from scratch. So, you know, certainly there was, you know, you start with zero income and you work up to write enough income to take a, a vacation. And my mindset truly was always, I can't afford to take a vacation. That was yeah. my mantra, right? Is I yeah. cannot afford it. And I'll tell you what actually flipped the switch for me. It was very interesting. So 18 and a half years ago, when my daughter was born, she was born premature. Um, I had her at 29 and a half weeks. And she was in the NICU uh, for a very long time with a chest tube, emphysema, pneumothorax. Anyway, long, long, it's a good story, but long story short, you know, I didn't really know if she would come home in the beginning, right? Like every day was a gift. And I literally spent anywhere from 16 to 20 hours in the hospital holding 
my child. And I didn't go to work. I didn't pay a bill. I didn't treat a patient. And the one thing that I learned about that is that, you know, the world doesn't shut down just because you stop going into the office, right? Like, not that there aren't natural consequences for your choices. And I definitely had some consequences not showing up at all. But my priority wasn't that at the time, right? And I think that that event for me was really life-changing to where I realized that those moments that we take for ourselves to nurture ourselves, to um, recoup, to recharge, to spend with family, whatever that is, is just, it's essential. And I went from this mindset of I can't afford to take a vacation to I can't afford not to take a vacation, right? And it isn't so much just about the financial price because it doesn't have to be Europe, right? Where you drop 20 grand to go on vacation. It could literally be visiting a friend and staying at their house too for a very long weekend, right? It could be a staycation. It doesn't have to be expensive, but it's important for time with the people you care about and even myself. So I I think that was really my shift. And had I not had that life-changing event, I'm not so sure I would have even realized how important it was, you know, and well, that's kind of ready to do it instead of having that type of life-changing moment. Yeah. That's, that's one of my, my beefs about the whole situation though, right. Is because as chiropractors, you and I are both chiropractors. Like when we're talking to our patients about wellness and preventative care, preventative health in general, and then we're not giving ourselves time to rest we're not really practicing what we're preaching to our people. And if you wait until there's a crisis, it's just the same as when you, when your patients wait um, to come in to get adjusted because they can't stand up straight. (laughs) And then, and then what, like it takes a lot of effort and a lot of energy from you as their care provider and also them as the patient who's doing the healing to get better and to really heal. And you know what? I think women are probably even more guilty of this, right? Like we take care of everybody else first. We're last on the list. You know, children come first, right? Spouses come first, work comes first. And we don't really look at what we need Mm -hmm. in order to be the best us we can be. And I think that's the dichotomy of, of where we get stuck, right? And it's this, I want to be present in my practice on whatever level that is, to my max capability, but I can't do that if I'm tired or burned out or or, or worn out, right? Exhausted. None of those things help me take better care of those that trust me to help them get to that same place, right? So we really have to take a step back, I think, to realize that if I'm going to bring my A game, that actually means sometimes putting myself first. And I don't look at that as a selfish act. I look at it as an important act for my self-care, just as I would ask my patients to participate in as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's just being congruent with what we're prescribing for everyone else doing that in our own lives. So talk to me a bit about what your schedule looks like in regard to like, maybe if you want to get into the nitty gritty, how you set your office hours and then also be able to take time off, right. And make sure that you're present with your kids, but also to be able to be present in your office with your patients and then be away when you're away teaching. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting. There's a lot of components that go into that. So I was, I was very fortunate that after I had my first daughter, you know, my first child Reese, I actually made a very conscious decision that I didn't want somebody else to raise my daughter five, six days a week. Now, I was also fortunate at the time I was married to a 
another chiropractor. So we wound up actually splitting hours. You know, he did Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I did Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, which was beautiful because then one of us was always home taking care of the kids. So we were very fortunate in that regard. Um, Then you fast forward and we're now divorced and now I'm in solo practice, but really I didn't change my hours that drastically in terms of that practice. What I did was is figure out how to be more efficient, right? Within the hours that I was there. So it wasn't about 40, 60, 78 hours a week in the practice and wondering what my kids were up to, you know, with a sitter or at home. It was really, how do I maximize that time so that financially I can afford to be away and emotionally I can afford to separate when I'm not there and then really truly be present. So my office schedule, and actually it's gotten a little bit busier by choice, I've always seen patients Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays routinely because of what's transpired in the world. And I see, I see patients through telehealth all over the country, actually all over the world anyway, but now that's like, you know, the first thing people want to do, right. Is, you know, there's, they're sitting at home in their pajamas and hopefully with pants on these days after the lessons we've learned, you know, on zoom calls where people have gotten caught, but the telehealth is really picked up. So I actually dedicate one day a week now just to telehealth for those people that are out of town So they don't have to travel in, you know, to see, to get help. So that's how I really schedule the office hours. And then all of my speaking is typically on the weekends. My consulting is done whenever I have time, right? Some mornings, some evenings, some weekends, it's, it's based on availability. But what's great is I try to balance time that I really need to be present for other people while my kids are in school, right? So they're gone. I don't have to be concerned, so to speak, or pay attention to them. And then when they're home, I definitely schedule time where I don't allow other appointments or other commitments to creep in so that I'm present for them too, right? So it's not just they're in the house and mommy's on a call all day long, but it's really good quality time, whether it's sitting down for a meal or how was your day or, you know, what are our plans for what's going on over the weekend and really giving them that quality so that, it isn't about quantity where at the end of the week you feel like, oh, you spent all this time, but there's no connection versus I have very dedicated time to my kids as well, where I feel really good about that. And then they're actually okay when I'm on a consulting call or at the office, mm-hmm. you know, if there's some crossover. So it's, yeah. it's very challenging. There's no doubt about it, but I think it's about being present in the moments that you choose to be present in versus kind of walking through those halfway there just to get to the next appointment or the next patient or the next you know, sporting event for the kids. Well, and it's, I think also about being boundaried, right? So that when you are with your kids, you're with your kids, you're not maybe checking your cell phone, answering emails. And that is a discipline. It's sort of also an art. Like you have to practice the skill set of setting those boundaries. There are not a lot of great examples for us in the world right now of those kinds of boundaries, because most people are attached to their cell phone and looking at it all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I go to family events and hopefully none of my family is listening to this podcast. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm like, put down your cell phones. Like we're here with you. We live, you know, most of my family, we live at least an hour away in multiple directions. Mm-hmm. And then we get together and everyone's on their phones <laughs> and they don't really realize that that's what's happening. That's the, right. That's right. the amazing thing about it. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like setting an appointment to be present. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and, and, and I know like in our family too, you know, we tend to eat out a lot, but even if we sit down at the dinner table at home, like there's no phones, 
you know, at the end of the day, the only people that are really that important that I need to be able to reach out to me in case something happens are my kids. So if I'm already with them, mm-hmm. you know, the phone can go away. It can be turned off. Right. Um, it, well, and I, you know, I'm old enough that we grew up without phones, you know, somehow we went to school and, you know, our parents couldn't reach us all day. And if we were at a friend's house, we, you know, they had no idea what was going on and we all survived. So I think, you know, consciously setting an appointment to get away from the electronics may help some people too. You know, here's the time I check emails and here's the time that the emails can absolutely wait until tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. We have a no cell phone rule in our family that when we're at the dinner table, whether it's at home or in a restaurant, if we're, if we're at dinner, the cell phones have to be put away. Mm-hmm. Um, there are very few exceptions to that rule. <laughs> and my kids are actually usually the ones that are like, um, hello, dad or mom, you know, put, put your cell phone away. We're at dinner at the table. I'm like, thank you for Isn't that, that. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like the kids, they need that attention from us. They want that attention. Right. And when they don't get it, um, they don't have as much of a filter as we do, you know, to call us out on that, which is great. For sure. Yes. <laughs> Your kids are a bit older um, than maybe like the majority of our listeners to this podcast. And I think that there's this notion that, well, when my kids go to school, then I'll have plenty of time. Or when my kids are teenagers, I'll have all this time. What are your thoughts about that? No, not true. <laughs> um, you know, you've probably heard the saying, you know, little kids, little problems, big kids, bigger problems, yeah. right? You know, and I, I don't even like the word problems. I like the word challenges a little bit better, but you know, I think it's just different, right? You know, I I make this joke that when my kids were little, I of course had to be there. They needed help getting dressed. I needed to make them lunches, right? You know, they can't drive. Now that I have teenage kids and they can actually do everything on their own, that's when they get into trouble. Mm -hmm. So now I have to be present because, you know, otherwise then, you know, then the parties start and the, you know, right. And I don't probably have to go into any details for anybody who does have teenage kids, but there's so many challenges socially when they get into that stage that really, you know, we may not be playing with blocks on the floor anymore, right? Or doing puzzles together, but I need to be in the house and I need to hear what's going on and I need to be available to check on them and jump in. So I think time doesn't really shift that way. It's just different, you know? So it's still about prioritizing when you can get the things done that you need. And really, again, that efficiency, right? Like I can, I mean, I can fill 24 hours a day and not sleep and still not have enough time, right? My to-do list has to-do lists and my to-do list always is going to have to-do lists, but it's really about figuring out what are the things that for me in my life are essential to accomplish today in balance and then allowing everything else to be okay sitting on a to-do list you know, and not being uptight or, or depressed or anxious about those decisions. So do you have specific routines that you implement that help you to feel clear about what it is that you need to do right now when your to-do list is so long? Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting. I actually schedule blocks of time. So I'm not, I'm not the most perfect routine person. Like, you know, I joke with some friends that like, you know, exactly what they're doing at the exact moment of the day, right. Based on this, I do this at eight and this at nine and this is 10. I'm not quite that regimented. That makes me a smidge uncomfortable. But what I do like to do for the week is actually schedule those things I know I want to accomplish. So like, for example, I'm in finishing up a book, right? So I actually will schedule blocks of time, two, three, four hours in my calendar where I won't take an appointment, right? I won't see a patient so that I know 
that's completely dedicated. And the phone even goes away because I'm not going to answer the phone in the middle of that chunk either. Cause then that chunk goes away. Right. And I'm really big on setting my own appointments. Um, same thing, even like with exercise, I will literally write in my calendar. I'm going to exercise at 8am today. I'm going to do it with my son in the basement at nine o'clock tonight. And that way nothing else gets in the way of that schedule. So for me, I think that's been the most successful versus the to-do list sits there and, you know, it's Sunday and I went, shoot, <laughs> you know, didn't get those things done. And we just start all over on Monday. Uh, going back to talking about having bigger kids and bigger challenges. I like to make this point very clear for people, because if you are in this phase of life where your kids are little and you're thinking like, this is all going to get easier. I'll figure this all out later. I think it's actually an avoidance strategy when people say, when my kids are older, then I'll make better systems and procedures in my practice because I'll have more time. So I don't say that to scare anyone, but to also help you see that you might just be delaying what you're going to have to do at some point. And why not just go ahead and do it now? Correct. Correct. And it, and then it builds better habits, right? So yeah. by establishing that early, you, you then do form whatever that routine is that's comfortable for you. So it becomes second nature instead of always the, I want, I wish, I hope, right? And then it doesn't happen. Um, or even if it does, then there's those of us that look back and go, why didn't we do this 10 years ago, right? Like th- this actually isn't that complicated. I think it's the commitment to do it that's scary, mm-hmm. right? And the fact that, and I'll even speak for myself, I think there's a lot of fear, right? Especially for women out there of that failure, because, you know, we want to do it all. We want to be excellent moms. We want to be excellent practitioners. We want to excel. We want to be financially successful. And what if we screw it up? Like, right? What if what if we do something and it goes horribly wrong? Um, and, and I actually, you, you know, I sort of love the failures because I always look... You know, I always joke that if you read some of the books from some of the most successful people out there in any in any category, right, whether it's finance or business or healthcare, most of them failed on some level pretty dramatically, right? Yeah. And learn these amazing lessons to turn it around. And that's now why they're writing the books is to teach all of those people that, like, it's okay, right? So I would challenge everybody, like, like pick something, do something, take that vacation, set a schedule, right? And if you screwed it up, okay, then use that as an opportunity to evaluate why it didn't work. And then you'll know what doesn't work and you try something different until you get it right. You know, cause you know, just like we joked about my, my vacation and I never took one. I mean, I screwed up a lot of things starting out. Right. And I'm still screwing up things. I mean, nothing, no, no system is perfect. But it's those challenges that allow me to tweak it to make it even better and find the confidence in that. And slowing down long enough to actually acknowledge and learn from the mistakes, like really implement those lessons, integrate them so that you can do things differently. Yes. That's also challenging for a lot of people because our 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 culture is moving at such a fast pace all the time. In you know, last year, a year ago at this time, everyone was talking about how they were enjoying and embracing the slowdown. And now here we are a year later. And I'm like, I don't think we learned any lessons. Uh, it feels like everyone, well, everyone where I live is just back to being busy. Yeah. I think, it, it, I know for me, it goes in waves. I think I always appreciate the slowdown, but I also love the, the chaos. I actually thrive on the chaos and I love <laughs> the busy, 
but I know for me, it cycles, right? So like great example, like I'll go away for a weekend and I'll definitely overcommit myself and speak a bunch of times and have this meeting and that meeting. And then what I'll do is I'll tack on an extra day at the end where I'll go sit by the water and do nothing. I'll go read a book, you know, and I've even done that where I've just sat in a hotel room by myself, you know, for an extra half a day or a day to decompress because I actually love both, you know, and I do thrive on both. Right. But there is a burnout point that I think you get to if you don't appreciate the quiet and the stillness. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be moments for people. It could be days for people. You know, I think we're all wired a little bit differently, but I do agree with you. I think there was so much to learn from, from the shutdown that some of us got and <laughs> some of us probably just complained about and went right back to the, you know, the routine that we have without learning the lesson. Yeah, for sure. On the note of cycles, um, this is getting into Kate Northrop's work. She she writes a lot about cycles and seasons, and um, and it also correlates to what you teach in continuing education in regard to physiology, normal human physiology. And it is normal for us to have those cycles. It's normal for us to just look at nature. Like there's a winter, there's a spring, there's a summer, and, and there's a fall. And yet many of us try to be in the summer. <laughs> all the time. Right. And, and we forget that we actually are humans and we have cycles too. And as females, we have, you know, an even more intricate and delicate cycle to, um, to look at and, and potentially embrace <laughs> in our, in our work lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think listening to that is important. And I don't mean the literal of like, you know, listening to an audiobook, right. And learning about the cycles. I mean, like really intuitively listening to our bodies and ourselves and our, and our mental health to, to understand where it, it is okay to maybe operate in the busy and the chaos. Right. And where we really need to learn to say no, I'm not sure as, as moms, especially we're really good at that. We're only good at the word no, when the kids are climbing on the stove, right. You know, like th- that's where the no comes in. But I think that the word no is really important from a commitment standpoint and an, and an overcommitment standpoint that we're not real good at using and we need to practice that. So it's that internal um, ear that we need to turn on to say, no, you know, it's, it's time to turn down that opportunity or change, change the path a little bit. I wanted to ask more about the book that you're writing. I didn't know that you were writing a book. Are you open to talking about that? So what is the book about? So um, this August 27th uh, will be seven years of my last treatment for Hodgkin's lymphoma. So during that entire time, I went through treatment for six months. During that entire time, I kept a really pretty detailed journal of my experience. And I'm going to anger a lot of people when I say this out loud, but I actually made it fun. And it was really fascinating to me because... I self-diagnosed. So it's my story of how I actually self-diagnosed the Hodgkin's lymphoma and how to this day, I will tell you, I never had cancer. I experienced cancer Mm -hmm. and how I walked through that journey. Like it was a speed bump and tried to find as many gifts in it as I could. Now, as much as I'll tell you, I made it fun. Yes. There were miserable moments and pity parties and all that stuff that goes along with, you know, that scary diagnosis, if you will. But when I got done, I really, I had a couple purposes for the book. One was 
is that I really want to show people that just because you get diagnosed with a scary word doesn't really mean it has to be scary, right? Like we really can walk through some of these things with a much better attitude instead of that sort of like, we feel sorry for you and we hope you make it attitude that I think goes along with a lot of serious diseases. So I wanted to share that. Um, Full transparency, my bigger goal outside of our lovely world, and I do really, really enjoy our profession, but I really would love to be on a stage. I always joke, I want to be the funny Tony Robbins of healthcare. And I really don't want to be Tony Robbins. I still want to be Cindy Howard, but I want to stand up on a stage where there's 50,000 people and share my story and really inspire and motivate, but also share about natural healthcare and the fact that there are alternatives out there in different ways we can walk through different health challenges. And it doesn't have to be just the way one doctor says to do it. You really do have a choice in your, you know, in your body and your health. And we can also laugh about it. So the book is really my journey through that. And there's a lot of funny and a little bit of healthcare and hopefully a lot of inspiration that if the book touches one person in a way that just helps them walk through cancer or diabetes or whatever it is a little bit better than it was worth publishing the story. So I'm in the final stages. I actually have a ghostwriter just helping me clean it up because I am not a writer. Um, love to tell the story and love to speak, but he, he's just helping me clean up the book a little bit so that it's publishable versus, you know, journal entry level. And then I just want to bring it to the masses and let people enjoy it. Was there something that happened that sparked the idea for the book? Was it something you had been thinking about doing for a while? Yeah. So I've always wanted to write a book. You know, it was one of those, like, I hate to say I have a bucket list because I don't really live that way, but, you know, there's a couple of things you just hope to accomplish. And I actually wrote a children's book years ago about how eating carrots is really cool. And it's really weird. I can't find it. I don't know what I did with it. I never published it. And it was one of those things that I just thought, oh, that would be really like, again, you know, check the item off the list. I wrote a book. So when I did this, I just sort of felt compelled to share. um, And it's not even just my story. I mean, a lot of people contributed to this book in a way of different messages and different insights and ways to look at things that I just think can be so valuable. So it's part of that inner teacher in me that where I love to run around the country and teach. I also think I could teach through the written word of the book and probably get to more people than I do, you know, currently through programs. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Dr. Cindy, thank you so much for everything that you have shared. Um, This is a, this is a really valuable, inspiring conversation. So if people that are listening to this episode want to learn more about you and what you do, where's the best place for them to go? Oh, good question. Um, My business website is just innovativehwc.com. It's just hard to say. So that's the website for the business. But truly, I'm happy to give out my personal information. So my personal uh, email is Dr. Dr. Cindy, C-I-N-D-Y, Howard, H-O-W-A-R-D, at msn.com. And quite frankly, even my cell phone is fine, 708-646-6561. If anybody out there has any questions or I can help them with anything, really, the best way is to text me. You'll get the fastest answer from me that way. Um, I can't stand email. I will answer eventually, but it'll take me longer. But really, just reach out because, again, my end goal at the end of the day is to help whoever I can and just, you know, teach about what we do and how to improve our lives. Awesome. Thank you again so much. No, thank you. I really appreciate the time and and letting me be a guest and sharing. And um, I hope just again out there, we've changed one person's outlook to do something better and different. 
Do you want to make more money without squeezing more patients or clients onto your schedule? If that's you, be sure to take my free class. In it, you'll learn how to bring leveraged income into your practice so you can work less, live more, and help more people than ever before. You can get signed up by going to drdanielleaton.com and click free.